Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. So the the area that we're on tonight that I'm going to focus in on of how Paul lived through through perilous times and got through them, he starts enumerating nine different aspects that he wants them to have to use as well. And so we, we talked about his doctrine, which is theology. We talked about manner of life, right? Last week about, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, being doers of the word and that how our faith correlates to, to what our good work should be doing. And now we're gonna move into purpose tonight. And purpose, um, this definitely is not like Rick Warren's purpose-driven life that Paul would be discussing. Um, Rick kind of took a self-motivation type of tactic on on purpose-driven life and ran with it with really without a biblical, a good biblical foundation. And people gravitated to that. And uh, obviously there were problems in that, and uh, it caused a lot of people to get derailed a little bit um, on their Christian life, because uh, although sometimes Rick would say things that were correct, like this is not about you, but then the rest of the book would be about you. Um, So (laughs) he would say things that are correct, but then contradict what he just said. Um, So anyway, what, what, what are we dealing with when we're dealing with purpose, okay? So when we're dealing with trials, he's saying, the, the other aspect you have to have is a purpose in the midst of the trial, okay? And then faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, all these other things. So what we're talking about is prothesis, prothesis in the Greek. And, and, and the basis of the understanding of purpose is resolve, okay? I have a resolve uh, in me. Now, a resolve comes from the, from the fact that you have made a decision to do something, okay? The question then becomes, what decision did you make? And, and obviously, within the context, um, this is not like, well, I make a decision to buy a car, or I'm going to make a decision, um, you know, to, to whatever, buy a house. That's not what this is talking about. It's, it's talking about a decision to accomplish the Lord's will in your life uh, and his purposes for your life. So again, don't get this confused with Rick Warren's purpose-driven life, but that's where this is going. So Paul is saying, look, I have a resolve that got me through perilous times. And the resolve was based on a decision I made that was based on my calling and based on what the Lord wanted me to do for my life is what he's referring to. So the idea then is I have a iron will to carry out uh, my personal calling that the Lord has given me. Okay, I have an iron will towards that, that nothing will stop me. Uh, nothing will discourage me. Nothing will keep me from accomplishing the mission that he has for me. Okay? And that mission obviously encompasses the Lord's purposes and plans overall. There's no doubt about that. It will be synced up with what you do. It will be synced up with the overall mission of Christ and the overall mission of the church, the overall mission of the gospel, the overall mission of theology, obviously. It's going to be synced up. So it's not like you've got some mission that's separate from the purposes of Christ. 
it's, it's in line with that, okay? So this is not like, I don't know. This is not like trying to find oh, my dream job or something like that, right? That's not what this is about. This is about that if God wants you to be employed in a certain area, um, he will lead you to that. And then in that area, that's where your gifts and talents will be maximized in that area where he leads you. And while you're in that the area, your resolve is what allows you to push through the trials and tribulations that try to get you out of that area, okay? So let's say he calls you to be a, a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, one of those, okay? And he's called you to be that, 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 that person, that's a, a butcher, okay? And that's where your skill set is, that's where your ministry is, that's where everything is. For some reason, when you get into that position, uh, your resolve will be tested of whether or not you will stay there and fight through it, through all the oppositions you get for being a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. So the Satan, Satan does not want you placed correctly. Satan wants you misplaced. Satan wants you to go after the things of the world, and that's how people misplace themselves. There's tons of people right now that are not in the will of God with their life, and they're Christians. But they made a decision not to do the will of God enough. They made a decision to make the most money. They made a decision to have the most toys. They made a decision that gives them the more, a more leisure life or whatever the decision was based on. So they, ba- they based it on the things of this world rather than the will of God for them. Okay, so they're misplaced. When you're misplaced, um, you will not find true, true spiritual fulfillment, true abundant life. You can get some of it, but you, you don't get the full Monty. You, don't, you won't understand what the abundant life is because you think you're living the abundant life by materialism or, or whatever, money, job position, security, whatever it might be. Okay, so he's called you to be a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. And, and so you go into the butcher, baker, candlestick maker position and you're like, wow, this is really tough being a butcher because there's a lot of people that are complaining about me about their cut of their meat or whatever, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really know if I should be a butcher because, you know, I got this opposition and all this other junk going on. And so the, the, the goal for Satan is to break your resolve, to break that decision that you made, that you believe that God called you to do, to break you down enough to where you leave it and say, I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't, it's just, just too much. It's, this is not what I signed up for, and this is ridiculous. And, and that's, that's where it's going to happen. So in, in the perilous times, what happens is the crunch gets put on everybody that's in the will of God to abandon post, to go find something easier. You don't need to deal with this. This is too much. Uh, this, the, the job has changed when you first began, and it's not the same, it's different now, and now it has all the this, and, and so, yeah, you know, you need to consider maybe retirement, or you need to consider another kind of job that's a little bit easier and less stressful and all that stuff on you. And you got that going on in your head all the time. But the only thing that's gonna give you 
the, the, the direction you need is whether or not you believe that you're called to that position and you have enough resolve in you to stay in that position. That's it. So the resolve is what keeps you in the game. And if you have no resolve, that means you're going to be pushed around by society. You're going to be bullied by Satan. You're going to be pushed around into positions that you really don't want to be in. You, you want to be, you're going to be pushed into employment that you don't really want to be in. But yes, will it be a shortcut? Will it be easier? Of course it will. Maybe it'll make you even more money. But it's not fulfilling the call of, uh, of God's uh, call on your life. It won't fulfill it. You will miss it. Okay, so this calling is, is a big deal. Each person has an individual calling. We have a, we have a general calling of discipleship and, and the Great Commission and all that. Everyone has, knows that. But then you have an individual calling based on, you know, what we said, your gifts, your talents, your, your experiences, your pain, your trauma, all that stuff packed into one. And then that's what you should be doing. That's your employment. That's, that's where you spend your time at. Um, in that position, you'll be surrounded by people, typically five people uh, in your life. And, and typically, they've, they've calculated that typically the five people you hang around with most have the most influence on your life. So you want to understand that where you're placed and the, you'll be placed around the, the people in that environment. And the reason you're in that environment it's because God wants you to be around those people for a reason. Whether it's your, you to influence them or they need to influence you. But you'll be around, typically, generally speaking, about five people that you will be very close to in your life. And you have to figure out what your purpose is, is around those five people, generally speaking. It might be more, it might be less. But you typically spend most of your time around these five people, Okay you have to figure out what you're there for. Are you there to influence them? Or are they there to influence you? And maybe when you're younger, it's them influencing you. And maybe when you're older, it's you influencing them. Sometimes. You have to figure that out because you're there for a reason. Okay. Paul mentions that he knows his calling. He knows what he's about. And he had a very high calling. There's no doubt about it. It was according to Paul's ability. It was according to his skill set. It was according to, according to his education. It was according to everything that went into the Apostle Paul. So, you know, it, it, you can tell that Paul's a very educated man. There's no doubt about that. He was, you know, a Pharisee, but he, he obviously knows Greek very well. And he, uh, he's very uh, uh, knowledgeable in theology, unlike when you read Peter. Uh, if you read Peter in the Greek, he's, Peter is very basic, and, he had, and Peter is having an amanuensis to write for him anyway. Um, so, so, like, you know, you can tell Peter's a fisherman, if that makes sense, just by the language in the text. You go to the Apostle Paul, and you're dealing with another hombre. You're dealing with a very sophisticated mind in the Apostle Paul, but you can see why. Because what he says, to me, whom I am less than the least of all the saints, he's very humble, this grace was given. What grace? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's Paul's calling. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. 
And in order to be an apostle to the Gentiles, you're going to have to be sophisticated in that sense, in the fact that I know the languages, I know Greek philosophy, I know my own theology, but I also know what they're talking about as well. Peter doesn't have that ability. He's just a fisherman. Paul is educated, and what helps Paul is he's a Roman citizen on top of it, which protects him in many ways among the Gentiles, whereas Peter is not a Roman citizen. So you can see how Paul is using Peter different. Sorry, God is using Peter differently than he is Paul based on what? Paul's background, Paul's education, Paul's learn, uh, 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 you know, uh, Roman citizenship, his IQ. Okay, so this is where we get the concept of the five talents, the two talents and the one talents, right? So Paul is a five talent type of guy. Therefore, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is the forerunner of explaining the church to all of us. Jesus talked about the church would be started. Paul then takes it and in the epistles explains how the church functions. And so as in every dispensation, there's a leader. Paul is the leader of the church dispensation, okay? Uh, and, each, and Moses is the leader of the, the, the Mosaic dispensation. And Abraham is the leader of the Abrahamic promise dispensation, okay? And then obviously Messiah is the leader in the Messianic kingdom. That's how it works. So anyway, he's got a big calling, right? And he goes to, to, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What's the mystery he's talking about? That the fact that God would call both Gentiles and Jews at the same time into one body from whom the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers to the fallen angels in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul basically tells you in Ephesians 3 what his calling is. And his calling is very big, Right? to explain all this, and then to make this manifest known to the, the, the fallen angels of the realm as well. Uh, so it's a big deal, okay? So to some he gave five, to some he gave two, and to some he gave one, okay? So Paul knows what he's supposed to do. He knows he's not an apostle to the Jews. Peter is. He knows what his calling is, and he finds it, and he stays in there. Now, what, he, what, what we were learning from him is he says, I had a resolve to stay in the game. And Paul explains that he got beaten, he got all these things thrown at him from the Gentiles and the Jews as well to keep him from this, okay? And, and Paul seems to be able to just, after taking a punch, get up and just keep doing what he's doing. And, and obviously he's supernaturally empowered, but so are you. But there's an ele- a human element here that you have to factor in about the Apostle Paul. He is an iron will type of guy. He is not some pushover. And, and you could beat Paul to death and he would still get up and complete the mission. He was discouraged. People called him, you're not a real apostle. They would challenge his apostleship constantly um, because he wasn't the, what, what part of the original 12. And he says, look, man, I saw the risen Lord. He commissioned me personally. I was with him for two years in Arabia. He commissioned me. But he always had this issue that people challenged his call. I don't know if it really ever went away. And what you have to understand that in your position, 
If you say, God's led me to be a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, that call will be challenged by even the people around you, by the people you work with, by the obviously the enemies, but even people you trust will then eventually turn on you and challenge your call. And it's funny that, that when you see that your call is being challenged, then you have to see through it and realize that's satanic. Only Satan is going to challenge your call. Okay? When you see a human being do it, understand they're, they're under the influence of, a, of, of, of being led by a demonic to challenge that. Okay? We can all be influenced. I'm not saying they're possessed or oppressed. I'm saying they're just influenced. Because, but when I see someone says, yeah, Brandon, he challenged or she challenged my, my call, then I say, ooh, yeah, that's not good. That's demonic. That's demonic coming out of their mouth. And that's how it will be with you. If you know where you're supposed to be, then they will challenge you. Satan will challenge you. Are you really called? I don't think you are, Satan will say. Look at that. If you were called, everyone would like you. And no one likes you. Why don't you quit? Right? No one likes you. You don't even like yourself. Why don't you quit? You get, you, 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 you get the, the idea? Right? That's the, the mindset that starts happening. Why do you even, why do you even put, pretend? Just, just throw it all in. Just go back to your old life, man. You were happier then, man. Remember? You didn't have all these issues. And, and that's what happens. It starts, and the, people, the, the person that allows that thinking to happen, it starts breaking them down. And they feel like quitting, and they feel like surrendering, and they don't want to fight anymore because they're done. Um, be careful, because it'll, it'll rock your world. Um, and, and so let's, let's go into the next leg of, of the season that we're in. Um. There's some pretty nasty things coming my, our way. Um, I, I was talking to a, a guy in the trucking industry yesterday, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a full prophecy update on this. But what California has set up for the trucking industry is going to destroy our supply chains. And by next year, your food prices are going to skyrocket because if they, if they all have to have electric vehicles and the... the, the um, and there's not, enough, you know, there's not enough stations to charge these diesels and trucks up with. Um, there's going to be supply chain problems. There's going to be food problems. The food prices are going to go skyrocketing because what it costs to have a diesel truck deliver your bread versus an electric diesel delivering your bread is, is, is astronomical. You know... Um, you're going to go from, you know, uh, 150. I remember what he told me. I'll, I'll give you the, the, the things. That, something like $150 an hour to like $400 an hour in shipping. Because they're going to, uh, all California trucks are going to have to have four smogs a year. Um, and then a certain amount of your fleet's going to have to go electric. An electric vehicle semi costs like a million dollars. So, if the, the, the transportation industry is going to electric and there's not enough charging stations, and he's, their fleet was 
what was it, T? 40? 400 trucks they have? So they have 400 trucks. And so that's pretty big. And so basically what he was telling me is that the other trucking companies outside of California are not going to come in California anymore. They're not going to come in because they're not going to apply, uh, go buy our clean air emissions thing. And so the trucking company says, bye-bye California, we're not coming. So a truck is going to have to leave California, go outside, get the thing, bring it back in, and, and have all these charges. Um, and that's happening next year. It's already, go, it's already happening, but by next year, this is because of Gavin Newsom's clean air. There, there's no stopping that. And your food prices are going to go astronomical. It'll, it'll kill California's economy by doing this. I hope, I hope the truck companies sue them. I hope. I hope it's stopped in court. I don't know. But let's, let's say that that's coming, okay? So when we talk about perilous times, that's what I'm talking about. And at that point, whatever position you're in will be pressed, okay? And let's say that um, God has told you now that you will stay in California, like me, okay? I've been told to stay here, and I will stay here till the rapture. So I see all this junk happening, so what am I supposed to do? Because the easy thing for me would be, well, I'm getting out of here, right? That's what the easy thing is. That's a, well, that's the conventional wisdom. Well, if it's going to happen, I'm going to leave California. Yeah, but I haven't been told to leave California by God, even though I know it's coming. So what do I do? So my thing is I have the resolve to stay in my position, and God will take care of me in my position, but I got to have enough resolve to stay in the position that I'm called in. And if you don't, you'll run when perilous times will happen, okay? You won't stay in the position in which he's called you. So my thing is, if he's called you to stay in a position of a butcher, baker, candlestick maker in the state of California and all that's coming, then he must be willing to provide for you when it does happen. And that's your mentality. That's where you get your resolve. That's where you get your strength. But if you don't think God's gonna provide for you, you will leave your post, and that's what Paul's trying to get across to all of us uh, about having this resolve. Well, that, okay, let them do whatever they want. I'm not afraid of Gavin Newsom because God, God will see me through it. He's called me here for a reason. I'm supposed to be here. I, I, you know, uh, we have a new church. We've been waiting for 12 years. And all Hades is breaking loose in California. All Hades is breaking loose. And what did he tell me to do? Stay where you're at. And just trust me, Brandon. Don't freak out. Don't, don't think we got to move the church. No, no, you stay right here because I need a witness in California. Oh, okay. So you have to have that type of resolve. Okay. So with that being stated, let me give you the quintessential example of uh, how you get resolve. Okay, resolve uh, starts with a decision, okay, that I'm going I'm to decide to do the will of God in my life for what he's called me to do. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Okay, he's called me to be a candlestick maker right here in Bakersfield. Great. But there's several things I need to do. In fact, there's three things I need to do in order to keep my resolve. 
I must do three things in discipleship. So the passage you're looking at in Luke 9 is not a salvation passage. It is a discipleship passage. It's very familiar to many of you, but I want to parse it out to show you the three things you have to do to keep your resolve. Okay? Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, this is to the Messiah, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that's a pretty bold statement. Um, so we know, we know we're dealing with discipleship because uh, I will follow you. That's not a salvation term. That's a rabbinic term for I want to follow you as a student under your yoke. So what in the, in, in the Hebraic understanding is you would find a teacher that, w- that you wanted to learn under, and then you would uh, ask them uh, or, or come to them and say, I want to follow you, and you would put yourself under the yoke uh, of that teacher. That's the idea of being yoked to the teacher, which Messiah says, my yoke is what? Heavy? Easy or light? Okay? Easier or light? And, and probably in, if he was speaking Hebrew, it would be the word light in Hebrew. Uh, my, my, my burden is light. And the idea is my discipleship is not burdensome to you. It's actually very light if you follow it. Okay, so this is very normal, but uh, Jesus says this, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of air have nests, but the son of man, Daniel chapter seven, as he approaches the ancient of days, so Daniel chapter seven, you gotta work within that framework, has nowhere to lay his head. Now, Now, you have to unpack this. He says son of man, that's instantaneously Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is seen approaching the Ancient of Days in heaven, and all authority is given to the Son of Man to rule and reign in the Messianic kingdom. Okay, so Son of Man is a Messianic term. Okay, it, it, does, it does, Son of Man does refer uh, to Messiah's humanity, but it also, if you see him, how does a human being also receive the authority from God if if he's just a human, well, he's not. He's just, he's the God-man in order to receive authority from the Father to rule and reign uh, the universe, basically. So the Son of Man has the connotations of not only a man, but he's also God as well. This is why Jesus said to the Pharisees at the trial, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory, because the Son of Man has the glory clouds associated to him because he is Yahweh as well. He's the second person of Yahweh, right? One God, three persons. Okay, so in the guy's mind, Jesus is saying, look, you remember the text that says the Son of Man approached the ancient days? And in the fact that all authority and honor was given to this, this individual, I'm he, okay? I'm the one. I'm, I'm Yahweh, okay? That's what he's saying. But yet, as you see me in Daniel... My home is heaven. I come from there. I don't originate from your world. I originate from heaven. I come down from heaven is the concept, okay? And yet, I live on your planet, and I have no place to lay my head. So what is he trying to say to the guy? I'm the king of the universe, and the king of the universe has no place to lay his head on your earth. Hmm. 
What does this have to do with resolve? What does this have to do with him saying, I want to follow you? What, what, is, what is this about? So what, what, what is what? Omniscience? Yeah, Messiah is on a mission. There's no doubt about it. But what is he saying about the mission in the text? So foxes have places to live. The birds have places to live. But I don't have a place to live on this earth. So they have, even the animals that I created have little homes for themselves that provide security, that provide comfort, that provide protection. But I don't have that. So what is he telling the guy to think about before you follow me? You're going to have to sacrifice, but you're going to have to sacrifice in one, in one particular way. I am not promising you comfort. I don't even have a place to sleep. It's not comfortable. We, we stay out all night around the fire, okay? We're not living in lavish palaces. We're not very comfortable here. So uh, what I'm telling you, the son of man, as pictured in Daniel... The king of the universe is living a very rough life. A very rough life. This is not some padded, cushy call. It's very rough. And all I can do is promise you that I can provide for your needs, but I can't provide your comfort. So what it, what it, so in that situation, what is he asking the guy to do? You better be willing to do something if you're going to follow me on this. I mean, use the idea of home. Okay, you can't go back home. You can't lay in your cushy bed that reclines while you watch TV. Okay? You can't. There is no electric blanket in the winter. Yeah, I know. It's no electric blanket. Right? Um, we have to eat the food that's given to us. Um, you know, we're on the road all the time. It's hard. We have to, we have to get our food from the, the good graces of people giving us the food. But rest assured, we get our needs met. I'll make sure your needs are met. But um, we have to walk to everywhere we go. And um, there's a lot of people that actually want to kill us. So he's turning the guy back that you need to rethink this. Okay? And what does he need to rethink You follow me, you have to do this, or you can't. Because I I can't provide your comfort. I can't tell you that it's going to be easy. 
I can't tell you that the road is going to be short. I, I act, in fact, what I'm trying to tell you is the Son of Man is telling you right now, it is a very hard road. It is the road not traveled. I'm telling you if you're going to follow me. Now, he's not talking about belief. You can believe in him, but not follow him. Okay? Let's separate that out. This is for discipleship. This is not for salvation. If you really want to be a person like Paul that has resolved to stay in the foxhole and not run, you must first be willing to give up your comfort. Okay? Because what he's trying to tell the guy is, in discipleship, you must deny yourself if you're going to follow me. You must give up the idea that life is now going to be comfortable. In fact, life will now get harder for you if you decide to be discipled by me and take on my yoke. This is why so few Christians take on the yoke. They won't take it on. They get their fire insurance. There's no doubt about that. And that's, they feel great about that. But when you ask them to step up in their life to a life of discomfort, they don't want to do it because it's too hard. I mean, I mean, for goodness sakes, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now what's going to happen. You ready for, for the truth? Can you take it? Can you, can you, can you really take it? There, when we started out at Stockdale High School in the rat hole that was, okay, it was, this, uh, it was a nightmare being at Stockdale. We had people that came and visited and said, Brandon, when you get a, a, your own place, then I'll come back and attend your church because this is too hard of an environment for me. These chairs are too hard. There's roaches crawling up my legs in the bathroom. And it smells because the, the guys on, on, at Stockdale didn't pick up the trash the custodians and pick up the trash who were assigned to do it. In fact, we were paying them. They're washing their cars in the back. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, and they said it was just, it, the environment's too hard because I get it, man. We, in the wintertime, the air, they wouldn't turn on the heat and we'd be freezing to death. And then in the summertime, it would be like 110. Oh, yeah, we're on vacation. I'm sorry. For, I forgot, totally forgot about you guys being in there. And it was like 110. And people just said, it's too hard. It's too hard, hard. Well, guess what? When we get back into the building, our new building, guess who's coming? All those people that told me, we will come and visit you and be a part of your church when you have a building. Oh, when it's comfortable, right? And, and, and they will. They will. But I can guarantee you they won't last long. Why? Because... I will make them uncomfortable, okay? I will make them uncomfortable. They, they will say, that's too heavy. That's too hot of preaching. I can't take that, Brandon. That's, no, that's too much. He's different now. I, something's changed about him. He is way different than when I knew him at Valley when he was a little 31-year-old pipsqueak and knew nothing. Oh, no, he's a fire-breathing dragon, that guy. You watch. It'll happen because they, they're going to come back because they only show up when it's easy, don't they? They don't show up when it's where we're tearing down, setting up. They don't remember those days because they weren't there because they don't take the yoke of discipleship. They weren't setting up chairs in a classroom like we were every Sunday morning. They weren't. They weren't there. So they come only when it's easy, 
Well, that kind of person is not a disciple because he's just saying the first thing you have to do if you're going to follow me is you have to be willing to take on a hard life to follow me. Your life will get harder. So what he's asking him, here's the key, you have to deny yourself, but before you even decide this, you better count the cost. I do not want, he's he's telling the guy, I don't want you following me. I'm giving you a heads up. I don't want you following me. And and then all of a sudden you get on the ground and say, this is too hard for me. I'm out of here. I don't want that. Count the cost now before you jump in and make a huge mistake. Plenty of people jump into discipleship and it's too hot. Can't do it. They can't, it's like, that's too much. You're asking too much of me. It's, it requires too much of a sacrifice. It's, it's, no, I can't do that, Brandon. And they back off. Uh, you know, a, uh, you know, I, I'm real busy in my life and okay, whatever, man. But what's happening is the closer they get to Jesus, the harder their life gets and they can't take it. And they back off because you know why? They didn't count the cost. They didn't count. They didn't realize what he just said. You will make less money following me. I will provide your needs, but you're not going to be a millionaire. You can get that right out of your head. And, and, and you think you had problems even after you're saved. Wait, wait till you follow me and what Satan does to you once you start following me in discipleship and start impacting or making an impact into the kingdom of darkness and see their reaction to you once you get in their, their territory. Let's see what they do to you. And so the first thing is denial. In your decision to be resolved, the first aspect of discipleship is you must count the cost and then deny. If you're going to do it, then you must deny. Deny yourself. You will deny yourself of the lifestyle that you wanted. Okay? You will deny yourself of that. Second, Then he said to another, follow me, a discipleship term. But he said, Lord, let me go first, uh, first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, people that don't know the Hebrew background say, well, Jesus seems very insensitive to this poor guy, you know, and he wants to bury his dad's corpse and, and that's what's happening. And wow, it just seems very insensitive. No, it's not. It's Hebraic. You have to understand what the context is about this. So when your family member died, you put them in a limestone tomb and limestone tombs were called flesh eaters in the first century, flesh eaters. Because you put that body in and within one year, it's, it's down to bones. There's nothing left because of the, the heat and the limestone just dries out everything and that, that body will then turn to bones within one year, okay? So what the Jews started doing then is after one year, they would go back in the tomb and collect the bones and put them in an ossuary to make room for the next loved one that would pass away on the slab. And so you had these cutouts in these tombs where you had the, the vase of the bones of the relative that were in the walls. And then you had one slab where you would put the body for that year, okay? And anyway, um, and any of you go to Israel today, you'll see like in the garden tomb, a, 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 a typical first century uh, 
tomb with a slab and whatnot. So, but what ended up happening is they said, okay, well, it takes one year for the limestone to eat the flesh, and then we can put the body in an ossuary. So they actually created a, um, uh, not a biblical law, but they created a oral law or tradition that they started about burying your parents or your, your, your relatives. And what it meant that is that you were obligated that, that after one year, you had to stay close to the corpse. And then after that year, you had to go into the tomb, put the bones in the ossuary and say the Kaddish, the Kaddish prayer. And then once you said the Kaddish prayer and the ossuary is put in the shelf, then you were free. So basically for one year, you were obligated to hang around where the corpse was or buried in order to do the Kaddish prayer, okay? So this is what this guy's doing. He's basically telling Messiah, I got to stick around here until I can say the Kaddish prayer for my father, and then I'll go follow you. So what's the problem? He says, what? Let the dead bear their own dead. Now, if this was Mosaic law, Jesus would accommodate that because he always followed his own law, 613 commands. But remember, where did this law derive from? From the the, the religious leaders, the the, the Judaism of the day. It's man-made rules, right? This is why he says, Forget that, man. Let the dead bear their own dead. This is not a law from God. This is a law from man. You don't have to obligate yourself to do that. Come on, let's go. Time to go. Uh, you go and preach the kingdom of God. Let's go. So what is, he, what is he saying to do, okay? He's not asking him to break any, any law whatsoever from God. So there's a point of, of realizing, okay, is what's keeping me from my discipleship from going all the way with the Lord, is, that, is, is there something in my family of origins that is keeping me from uh, like fully devoting myself to him? Because you know I gotta do this for mom, or I gotta do this for dad, or I gotta do this for this relative, or whatever it might be, right? And it prevents the person for, for acting quickly, Okay? So what we have here is step number two. Jesus says, you're going to follow me. I need you to do it now. Now. No waiting. If I called you to do something, you do it now. You don't drag your feet. You don't make excuses. You don't find excuses. I need you to jump in now. So what is that? Urgency, a spiritual expediency. Once you know what you're called to do and you've made the decisions, point number one, I have resolved to live a harder life in following him. Great, you made that decision. You're gonna deny yourself. Great, now get to work immediately. Don't wait, don't put it off. Do it now. Do it now. So you go from deny yourself to second step, Take up your cross. That's the order. Deny, and then immediately take up your cross. Immediately start doing what you're supposed to be doing. Immediately jump in. 
immediate. Don't wait. Now, now, this is what this guy's doing. He's, he's, he's buying himself time is what he's trying to do. And, and you can probably see why people would buy themselves time because they look in there and all of a sudden there's this major commitment on their part if you fully f- uh, follow Christ and you're going to have to give up uh, you know, parts of your life. For, uh, you, you just can't serve Christ when it's convenient for you. You're going to have to serve him when it, it costs you. And, and uh, foolish traditions that hold you back is going to prevent you from truly following. And that's what this guy's having a problem with. He, he can't because of the traditions he has. And maybe, it's, it, maybe he's trying to be sincere. I don't know. But, but when Messiah tells you to do something and you know it, then you're supposed to do it immediately. And there can't be any delay. Now, in thinking that through your life, um, I, I get when you're trying to find the will of God and you don't know what to do, then the, the right course of action is, well, stay put until it gets revealed, okay? And, and you, you sometimes have to sit there and wait a long time until he reveals the will of God to you. Once he reveals the will, that means you're obligated to act right away. Right away. So, here's, I'll give you an example. Um, we had guys, this is in my previous ministry, we had guys that, you know, we were, you know, oh, I feel called to ministry. I feel called to ministry. Really? Okay. Well, what are you going to do about that? Oh, I just feel called. I feel called. And, and, and what they would do is drag their feet and not make a decision to get your educa- their education. Uh, whether that's formal or informal, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I'm going to get around that. Yeah, I feel like God's leading me to be a pastor. Yeah, really? Okay, then that means you better get your education. Because that's the first thing he told me, is get your education. Because how can you help anybody if you don't know anything? You can't just jump in the ministry and say, hey, I'm here, I'm a pastor, and uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm here to be a pastor. That's ridiculous. You have to be trained, you have to be educated, uh, formally or informally, either one, Okay. So I'm not saying you have to go to seminary. I'm saying you have to, you have, to have some type of training, okay? And, it, and, and what you would see is these guys would drag their feet and they wouldn't get after it. They wouldn't do it. And so it just indicated to me that these guys are not serious about discipleship. They're not serious about going into the ministry because if they were, they would be all over their education by now. They would try to get this done, ASAP, get it done. And so there's a part that you have to realize that once you understand what you're supposed to be doing, then get on it right away, immediately, okay? So that's the, that's the second thing. Deny, take up your cross immediately, and there's the last one. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, uh, but, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, the concept of fit for the kingdom of God, again, it's, it's discipleship. It's not a, you know, you, 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 this is not, a, you know, you're not, you can't be saved. He's saying you're not fit. You don't fit correctly to be rewarded in the kingdom if you're going to have this kind of attitude with me, is what he's saying. You're not fit 
to rule and reign. You're not fit to be rewarded, because that's a concept, okay? But what is this concept? You know, he says, uh, let me go home and say goodbye to everybody. Wow, that seems like Jesus is again being somewhat harsh on him. The guy just wants to say goodbye to his mom and dad and his family and friends and, and just, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is Jesus knows what, what the intent is and Jesus knows what the problem is with the guy. It's not just simply he wants to say goodbye. So how do we, how do we know what, he, what Jesus is aiming at or what he knows about the guy? He says, no one who puts his hand to a plow. So it's the idea, you make a decision to follow me and get on that plow, right? And that means that in, in order to, to, to plow a straight row, you must look forward at a heading so that you don't veer off. But he's saying, but you keep looking behind you. And if you keep looking back, you're going to do this with your rows that you're plowing. Right? You have to have a heading. You have to know where you're going. And that heading is a person. The author and finisher of your faith, according to the Hebrews, is at the finish line, and he's the heading. What did Peter have to look at as he walked on water? Messiah. He didn't look at him, he sank, right? So the concept of the plow is the same way. In order to have a straight heading, I've got to have my heading straight to me, and I can't keep looking back. I can't just do this and this and this all the time, because then I'll do this all over the place. What is that? So he wants to go say hello to, or goodbye to his family. In order to do that, he would be pulling off the plow. He'd be, he'd be pulling off the focus. If he went to, if he, to him, going back home and saying hello is getting him off point. What's the problem with the guy? Yeah, he won't focus on Jesus. And the reason he doesn't focus on Jesus because Jesus is not his number one priority. And so he lacks love for Jesus. Ephesians, sorry, uh, the Ephesus church in Revelation chapter two, they have forsaken in their first love. So they don't really love Jesus as the priority, as the guiding post of their life. The guy has divided loyalties. with his family. That's why he wants to go say goodbye. That's why Jesus uses the illustration of the plow. If you have divided loyalties, they always pull you back. You're trying to focus on Jesus, and then mama wants you over here, and then daddy wants you over here, and then your adult son wants you over here. Your adult daughter wants you over here because they can't get their lives in fact straightened out, and so you're trying to follow Jesus, but you can't because you have to follow them. And you're looking back at what this guy, this joker, that knucklehead is always doing. And that's divided loyalties. Because you're putting family members ahead of Jesus. And you can't do that. In order to, to, to plow straight, he's got to be the number one. Everybody else comes second. Even your own spouse comes second. I can tell you this. Plenty of marriages are ruined by the other spouse because the other spouse wants the position of Jesus. And the other spouse allows it. 
And that's when you forsake your first love. They say, well, we love Jesus. No, you don't. Not like you're supposed to because you put your spouse ahead and you only do what your spouse tells you to do. And if your spouse allows you to serve, then that's the only time you serve or whatever. And, or, you know, you know, look, man, I can tell you this. Your family, if you say, I'm sold out for Jesus, here's what's happening. He'll attack, Satan will attack your family to be a distraction for you so that you can't accomplish what you want to need to accomplish because you're always being pulled by what the junk they're doing, right? It will distract you. And you have to have a proper balance, a proper, uh, uh, you know, boundaries and limitations on how much you let them affect you. But you could tell if, if, if someone can't get their personal lives in order, it will affect their ministry. It will affect what you do if you can't get people in order. Now you think, well, what can I do? They're knuckleheads. Okay, then practice boundaries and limitations on them. That's it. That's all you have to do. But if you won't practice boundaries and limitations on them and you're just going to let them go haywire, hey, you're not going to plow straight because you're over here and you're over here. So what Jesus is saying, number one, you must deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross daily and do it now, every day, quickly, And what do you think the last one is? Follow me. That's it. Those are the three. That's what he said, didn't he? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Those are the three aspects in the, in the, the three illustrations. Follow me. What does follow me mean? I am the number one priority in your life. You must follow me rather than your family. Oh, gotcha. So why do you think he always mentions family for some reason? Why, we, why does he always say, uh, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword, father against his, daughter, uh, his son, mother against her daughter. Um, why, why even in this parable does he bring up the issue of family? What do you think the problem is? Family. Okay, it's pretty obvious. If he keeps repeating himself about family issues, he's telling you a common issue among people is their own family prevents their discipleship. That's the main problem, is their family. They can't be sold out to, to the Lord because their family is making too many demands on them. And uh, we're, getting, we're not saying abandon your family. No one, Jesus is not saying abandon your family. He's not saying that, but you look, you've got to have it in the proper order. If your family prevents you from being discipled, you have a problem. If all you do is spend your whole time dealing with some knucklehead in your family and you can't do anything else other than deal with the knucklehead, you've got a problem. You have divided loyalties. And you've got to get that out of the way. You've got to say, wait a second, this person is preventing me from even serving at the church. I can't even serve at the church because this person has so many issues. Okay, we've got a problem there. So you can see then back to resolve. Okay, back to resolve. If you truly want to have an iron will like Paul, that no matter what they do, he just keeps getting up and just keeps going forward. He has the resolve because he does these three things. 
He denies himself. He, he did, did Paul live a comfortable life? Oh, no. That was horrible. I don't envy that kind of life at all. I wouldn't want it. That's horrible. But it was required for him. Did he get about things quickly? Oh, yeah, he did. I mean, he did three mission journeys within a short amount of time in a short you know, in, 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 a, in a vast expanse of Gentile territory, and he went after it. He didn't stop. In fact, he did a fourth mission that's not even recorded. And then he was beheaded at that, after the fourth mission, for goodness sake. This guy was a motor scooter. He didn't wait on anybody. You either get on board or we're gone. And, and he would just take off and, and do what he needed to do. Now, how about the last thing? Did he have any divided loyalties? <laughs> no. No one was nagging him. You know what? You need to stay home and help me change these diapers before you go and serve at the church because I can't do it as a woman, you know. Uh, I don't know how to change diapers by myself. So you wait for me and we're going to go. And you, don't, you tell Brandon you can't serve because you've got to change my diaper or her, the kid's diaper, <laughs> not their diaper. But maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. They were wearing an adult diaper. You think I'm making stories up, don't you? You think I make this stuff up? No, I lived them. I saw them. It's crazy. But anyway, those are the three elements. So if you want resolve, you have to do those three elements. And if you do it, I'm telling you, you will have an iron will. No one can break you. No one can move you. You are like a rock, man, when you're like that. Anyway, let's take a five-minute break. We'll come back. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.